This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left, broadcasting from a militarized Washington, D.C. I'm Sam Sachs, and it's Wednesday, which means we've got Chip Gibbons here with us for another edition of Chip Chat. Hey, Chip. Hey, um, how's it? I won't even ask how's it going. I, I know that this is a pretty dark time right now in our nation. Uh, it is, it is. Uh, should I keep giving you a formal introduction? You think our audience knows who you are by now? Well, I'll, I'll do it one more time. I different chip. I could be a different Hey, uh, Sam Knight here. I never said I'm Sam Knight, and <laughs> I feel like I should say it because Sam Sachs said I'm Sam Sachs, and if I don't say I'm Sam Knight, I think it's just confusing to people when I talk later, so I'm Sam Knight. Good point. I am, Thanks for getting like in there with that. So we're all Sam Knight. Two uh, Sam's, one chip here. Uh, uh, I am Sam Knight. I am Sam Knight. <laughs> uh, we are all Sam Knight. Can I just comment real quick before we get into um, the descent into fascism and martial law and uh, the uprising underway across the country? I had forgotten how good Cheetos paws were as a snack. <laughs> The insurrection has been brought to you by Cheetos Paws, <laughs> the cheesiest uprising. I just, I had a few of those recently and I was like, damn, I forgot how good these were. All right, I'm a, Chip. I'm a crunchy Cheetos. I'm a crunchy Cheeto boy. I thought they, I was uh, too. I've always been a chump, a chunk, a, a crunchy Cheeto boy, but I recently had some paws and I'm like, you know what? These, these are pretty good actually. Chip, your thoughts? Ah, <laughs> uh, my thoughts are very scattered right now with with everything that is going on. I'm not much in a snack thinking about mode. Not All right, Chip, we'll give you the choice. You can you can comment on the Cheetos or you can comment uh, on the situation around the country where we're seeing uh, protests be squashed uh, with yeah, brutal I mean, force. Yes, and even the military deployed here in the nation's capital. Yeah, I mean, for nearly two decades now, the United States government has told us it's been fighting a war on terror. We've seen plenty of terror in the last week. It hasn't come from Al-Qaeda or ISIS or any of these other foreign groups that have been used to justify getting rid of our democracy, bloating the military budget, and launching all of these overseas wars and occupations. The terror are coming from the domestic police and National Guard right here at home. We saw in Minneapolis, the Department of Public Safety tweet out that they are gearing up for urban warfare, and then police or the National Guard, it's not clear who, were firing beanbag, beanbag bullets or rubber bullets, whatever the fuck they're called, on, on people on their front porch in Minneapolis. We saw in, in Louisville, Kentucky, undercover cops destroying water for protest, and when someone tried to film that, uh, military or like riot cops storm in. And you know, also in Louisville, Kentucky, a, a gentleman, David... McAtee was murdered by the National Guard. He owned a barbecue restaurant. He frequently fed the police for free. They killed him while protesting. His body sat in the street for 12 hours. And just all across the country, we see scene after scene of people gathering peacefully. And then we see the police come in with rubber bullets, with tear gas, with pepper spray, with batons, and attack them. 
And then when the police escalate and provoke the situation, as they planned on doing, we see all these pious politicians talking about, oh, Antifa, Antifa. It's all this orchestrated plot of, of violence. You know, I've been going to protests in D.C. since 2005. I'm not going to romanticize the D.C. police. They're awful. They do these horrible jump outs. They, they kill people. But, like, because of the really abusive things they did during the World Bank protests that were a little before my time, but I, I remember my father getting off from work because of the whole city being shut down because of them, right, the police were a little bit more under control because the city council got sick of being sued and put a, a lot of really proactive legislation in place. And, and my experience being out on Sunday is not like anything I've ever seen in D.C. For people who don't know, in D.C. you do not need a permit to have a march. You can't be arrested for not having for for for, for uh, parading without a permit. While you're supposed to get one, you can have a spontaneous protest without one. And, and usually, when people have unpermitted marches or spontaneous protests, you you see the police sort of facilitating them. But you know, on on Sunday, I watched the police blockade people from marching and then fire off uh, flashbang grenades. You know, and when people get and they would cause this horrible stampede, people would run, they'd knock people over, they'd get hurt. And the police clearly know that's what happens when they set off flashbang grenades, when they indiscriminately spray people with pepper spray, there's gonna be stampeding, there's gonna be running. And and it's just it's just an awful situation to watch. And it's very clear who the instigators are. The instigators are the police. The instigators are the National Guard. The instigators are these various different so-called forces of order who are terrorizing people on our street because people are angry, people are outraged, that time and time again we witness unarmed black people being murdered by the police. And in spite of the rebellions and uprisings and all of the sort of, you know, uh, whatever you want to call it, lip service from politicians, it, it still happens. I mean, George Floyd was murdered in broad daylight on camera. His killer, Derek Chauvin, put his knee to his throat for eight minutes and 46 seconds, including a full three minutes after George Floyd was unresponsive. This happened because he allegedly tried to pass off a, a, a counterfeit $20 bill and even if he did, you know, nothing justifies police violence, but even if he did, you know, we don't know if he even knew it was counterfeit or not, like, but they come and they murder him. And and people are sick of this and they go out in the streets to, 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 to protest. And what happens? The police then attack the protesters. And, and with all of this going on, we have Trump and Barr and these other right-wing demagogues getting on TV talking about radical left-wing anarchists are engaging in pre-planned violence, hijacking things. In D.C., we saw the military on the streets last night. There's pictures of the chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff walking around in uniform on D.C. streets on U.S. soil, supervising the response to, to a protest. I believe Barr was out there, too, at night, as was the Secretary of Defense. This is just utterly and completely outrageous. I'm rambling now, I recognize. No, no. But I'm, uh, very, it, very, it, I'm very upset. We also saw a, a Black Hawk helicopter being hovered directly over protesters to try to intimidate them off the streets. Uh, uh, a tactic they use on insurgents. I saw that somewhere. This is a tactic we use on insurgents. These aren't fucking insurgents. These are people who are angry because you keep killing them.
So it's uh, obviously the United States is increasingly resembling a fascist state uh, run by a military regime. But I also wanted to turn to the FBI, which is uh, one of your areas of expertise. And on Sunday, Attorney General Barr said that he was going to send the Joint Terrorism Task Force after uh, protesters, at, well, not after protesters, after Antifa, but um, is what he said. But he means protesters because obviously Antifa is not an organization. So it's a convenient excuse for the federal government uh, to go after anyone who's been protesting in the wake of the George Floyd murder. Um, what are what do you think we can expect from this? What, explain a little about JTTF and uh, what people on the ground might expect over the coming weeks or days so, and weeks from them. In September or November 2017, Christopher Ray told Congress they were investigating people with Antifa ideology. He told Congress they weren't investigating Antifa because Antifa is an ideology and they don't investigate ideologies also. You can't investigate an ideology. Christopher Ray has a little bit more sense than Donald Trump does, I guess. So, I mean, it's clear they were already investigating, quote-unquote, people um, inspired by Antifa as part of what was then called anarchist extremism investigations. The FBI has redone the categories of domestic terrorism, and now it's anti-government and anarchist extremist investigations. They took the right-wing militia types and the people they dub anarchists and put them in one category at the same time. They also took the quote-unquote black identity extremist and put them in the same category as white supremacist. Um, so the FBI was probably already doing shit, but Joint Terrorism Task Force are FBI task force that are staffed heavily by local police. The local police act under the supervision of the FBI, and they follow FBI guidelines, not local guidelines. Uh, in a lot of cases, by participating in these task force, local police are breaking the law, which is why San Francisco and Portland pulled out of them, because, you know, the FBI, as of 2008, does not need any sort of predicate, factual predicate, to investigate someone. They don't need to suspect you've committed a crime or threatened national security. And in most, many jurisdictions, that's not lawful. California, it's not lawful. The FBI produced an internal memorandum showing how that San Francisco cops could actually not engage in the task force without breaking breaking their own laws, and San Francisco pulled out. Um, and we've already seen the first action of one of these task force, the St. Louis Joint Terrorism Task Force, arrested someone for posting instructions for making Molotov cocktails on Facebook. That's my understanding of the situation. And per the news reports, um, members of the FBI, FBI agents in St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department as part of the JTTF were working to identify potential flashpoints for violence by monitoring social media. And they came across this guy's post and he's now, he's now been arrested. So uh, FBI Joint Terrorism Task Force are clearly, clearly looking on social media for things. That's very, very disturbing. Um, but, you know, the FBI is the political police. This is not surprising to me. Yeah. It, doesn't, it, make it great. doesn't make it great. And clear I'm not pro-FBI. People have listened <laughs> to any of these segments and have walked away with the perspective that I'm a big fan of our nation's political police force. Um, 
I don't know what you were listening to, but, you know, I, I just sort of expect the FBI to pull this sort of thing. I didn't expect to have Black Hawk helicopters flying over my house last night. Um, well, I think the, the president's focus on Antifa obviously uh, is a signal to law enforcement to find whatever tools they have to start cracking down, as you as you pointed out. But it's also a signal to... Uh, his his just supporters to engage in street combat I think like you yes. know, here's the left street combatters you need to get out there and we saw that in Philadelphia on on mo Monday night where you had uh, gangs of white dudes with baseball bats walking the streets yeah and I think it's really important to do, say you know anti-fa stands for anti-fascism it's not a group it's an ideology you could possibly argue it's a tactic whatever I I, I don't know but it's, it's not an organization. It's not like a, a master group that's planning everything. When Trump and Barr and people like that talk about Antifa, they're not talking about an ideology. They're talking about a right-wing conspiracy theory that instead of looking at the root causes of social unrest, find some sort of shadowy figure, whether it's the Communist Party or George Soros or Black Lives Matter or, or George Soros funding Black Lives Matter and Antifa that's behind all of the un quote unquote unrest in the world, not the fact that, you know, we had a hundred thousand people die because of our government's failed response to COVID, not the fact that we're in an economic recession, not the fact that police keep murdering people. It's this sinister group, quote unquote Antifa, that's out there. And and when they use these types of right wing conspiracy theories, they are absolutely green lighting repression, right? You're telling law enforcement that everything is the work of you know outside agitators and people orchestrating the violence it, it green lights this sort of going in and going after people and it also allows them to completely obscure the roots of what's going on which is police keep killing black people people gathered to protest and the police attacked them and keep attacking them and keep attacking them yes and now we have now we have Trump on TV talking about using the military. Um, we've seen lots of videos of uh, protesters getting hit in the face, hit in the eye, in the head with rubber bullets and tear gas canisters. These are supposedly less lethal munitions that uh, cops and riot forces have been deployed with, but they're using them in ways that can kill people. Yes. And lethal they're just less lethal than other things right and they become just as lethal when they're fired at someone's head at close you know at, at close range like we've been seeing and uh, is there any recourse when cops are engaged in this sort of stuff like you know obviously when it's caught on video and a cop is is has his knee on on george floyd's neck for eight minutes and chokes the life out of him uh there we I shouldn't say we get justice because we haven't yet and we might not get justice in this case, but at least there's like grounds to make an arrest. It seems like in the midst of this sort of uprising, if you have cops that are using their less lethal munitions and trying to kill people and actually do kill people, there's no recourse to it because it, the cops can just say, well, they, these people are engaged unlawfully in throwing things. I mean, that's a good point. I mean, in theory, the Department of Justice could indict them under, you know, the Reconstruction Era statute that makes it a crime to deprive people under the color of law of, of federally protected rights. 
uh, police brutality is considered a violation of the Fourth Amendment, whether or not it kills you or not. But then you have the whole reasonableness standard that that you know. And you have the whole whole deal of trying to prove who who fired the shot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if there's like local laws for like reckless, reckless, reckless action, depraved heart murder, as I believe the killer has been charged with in Minnesota could apply. It, it, I don't know. The, the legal system is not really a great, always a great recourse for enforcing people's rights against police violence, right? There's laws on the books that were written with that purpose. They could be used for that purpose, but through a combination of political inertia, the sort of hand-in-hand relationship between the people doing the prosecuting and the police, and the ways that the courts are just willing to have historically been willing to just gut any sort of law protecting, you know, basic civil liberties and civil rights as, you know, somehow being unconstitutional, you know, too mean to the police, you know, the constitutional violation isn't that, you know, the police shot you in the face while you were trying to exercise your First Amendment rights. It's that the law was, you know, too mean to the police. Uh, it's it's a bleak situation, and I don't want to sound like, you know, despondent because I am really inspired by the protests we've seen. We've seen a lot of protests. A lot of the protesters are quite young. They look like they're probably too young to participate in these types of things the last time around, around Ferguson which is, you know, on the one hand, sad that people still have to go out and do this, but also it's inspiring that I, I don't think people are going away or backing down. And I think that a lot of, you know, very young people in this country look and they don't they, they don't see any sort of future in which the system as it is continues on and they have any kind of meaningful quality of life. And that's, that's, that's our only source of hope right now. Certainly isn't the Democratic Party. Certainly isn't the Department of Justice. Certainly isn't you know appealing to Donald Trump's conscience. It isn't you know Don Lemon. It's it's that. Yeah, kids who uh, turn eighteen in twenty twenty, they were, <clears throat> I believe, I want to say, uh, twelve years old when Mike Brown was killed. Jesus Christ, that makes me feel old. Um. Yeah, I mean, you know, I can't even, I can't even imagine. I, it just like, you know, obviously Mike Brown was not the first time we saw a police murder. Those have been going on throughout my entire life, but there was a real moment after that where there was a heightened militancy against police brutality, and I imagine being twelve while that's going on leaves leaves an impact on you for the rest for the rest of your life. You know, when I was that age, we were you know invading invading Iraq, and I've never gotten over that. So um, probably never will. Probably will be ninety years old and still complaining about Dick Cheney. That's well, the... the kids who've been leading this uprising have been nothing short of heroic. Yes, as a white leftist who has at times identified in his life as an anarchist i can promise you uh we are too incompetent and don't have our shit together to orchestrate this thing if we if we could have we would have done it many many years ago 1919 (laughs) that is the, the the gift of our generation to be 90 years old and still pissed about the iraq war and living in probably abject poverty as well. Uh, On that note, 
Maybe we'll at least have some good snacks. Chip Gibbons, the policy director at Defending Rights and Dissent, though everything he says on Chip Chat are his own words. He's also a pretty good journalist, published in lots of different places. You can check that out. Follow him on Twitter, at Chip Gibbons, 89. Chip, uh, any, any final thoughts? Keep at it. Don't let them scare you off off of fighting for justice. That's what Trump wants to do. That's what Barr wants to do. But don't let them scare you into silence. Nice. Some, uh, some sincerity posting at the end of Chip Chat there. We like it. Chip, thanks a lot. Thank you for having me. <laughs>